with a firm foundation in Christ. Thank you that no matter what goes wrong in our lives, we can come back to the cross. We love you, God. We praise you. We pray that this word is encouraging to us and that we leave more Christ-like than we came in. because we just finished virtual vacation Bible school. Say praise the Lord. So I am so excited because we reached kids and that we were able to touch lives. We were able to um, minister to kids that were in Philly. And um, I actually want to talk about a, um, a family. They gave me permission to talk about it. Um, and so I, I was very thankful um, that a family joined us, and we had talked about day one, and then day two, the little girl came to me and said, 
um, I told my grandpa in Russian the lesson that we talked about on day one. Uh, so that is like, I'm like, that, I mean, give God praise for that because that wasn't me. That was, that was God. Um, so I am just so thankful that God is using our church and that not only is God using our church, it's using each and every one of us um, because he's good um, and he's faithful. So I just want to say, you know, just share that with you because I mean, like I, I was on, I'm on cloud nine, y'all. <laughs> so just so y'all know, you know, you know, you guys see me where I'm excited, but I, I'm at the pinnacle right now. So anyway, um, so I'm going to share with you uh, what we shared about on day one, which was the uh, parable of the sower and the seed. And we talked about, I can listen to Jesus. And the Psalm was in Psalms 119, 105. And it's your word is a lamp to guide my feet and a light for my path. And so that was day one. Day two, we talked about Jesus walking on the water. And it talking about we can keep our focus on Jesus. And the scripture that we used was actually my favorite scripture, which was uh, Proverbs 3, 5. Trust in the Lord with all your heart. Do not depend on your own understanding. Sometimes that's hard for me to do. I try to figure it out myself and try to do this and that. And then God goes, hey, Margie, I need you to trust me here. All right? So, um, you know, God corrects us. I know he corrects me a lot. Um, so then we talked about day three when he talks about Jesus calls his disciples. And we talked about how we can follow Jesus. And it was in Romans eight thirty nine. And the scripture reads is this, no power in the sky above or in the earth below. Indeed, nothing in all creation will ever be able to separate us from the love of God that is revealed in Christ our Lord. So the, I, I, I wanted to, I'm going to stay there for a second. Nothing can separate us from the love of God. And so I am thankful that we were able to share the gospel as a church to these children um, and we, we talked about admit, believe, and confess. One of the things that I love, to, well, two big things that I love about the, our church is that we will welcome anybody and everybody that walks through those doors. It does not matter what, you know, what color your skin is, who you are, where you come from. We welcome you here at Church by the Beach. And then the other thing is, is that Pastor always talks about, at the end of the message, about how you can become a follower of Christ because that is the most important thing because it's because of Christ why I do what I do. That song that uh, Brad uh, sung, In Christ Alone, it's for him. It's not for anybody else, but it's for him. Shall we pray? Dear Heavenly Father, we thank you for this day. We thank you for everything you've given us, God. I ask you right now, God, just to bless each and every person under the sound of my voice, God. I ask you just to um, touch them in their families and um, bless the kids, God. Thank you for the parents. I thank you for each and every one that was on vacation Bible school. God, I thank you for each and every home that is represented. Thank you for them supporting us um, in prayer and through everything, God. We ask you right now, God, just to have your will and your way in this service. God bless uh, Pastor Kevin as he ministers the word today in Jesus' name. Amen.
Amen. Hey, who's here? Are you glad to be in the house of the Lord? Amen. Come on. Amen. Right? Hey, can we do another one for Jesus Christ? Amen. Should be louder. Awesome. Awesome. It is so awesome to see every one of you. I love being in church. I hope you love it just as much as I do. And man, it's, it's just like being in person. It just does not get old. You know, there for the longest time, you know, we take some things for granted in life, don't we? Absolutely. And when those things that we take for granted in life are taken away, we realize really how valuable they are to us. And this is one of those things, being able to come together as the body of Christ and being able to worship our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Nothing like it. And uh, so before we get, dive into the message, you heard some announcements, but check out our website, churchbythebeach.org. You can get the message notes right there, latest message. Uh, in fact, they actually come out on Thursday, so you can cheat a little bit and see what all is happening with what you're about to hear today. And um, some spots there, you can fill in your own notes, email them to yourself, all right, which is fantastic. And also we have a digital connect card, so uh, we can't hand, hand things out right now. And, uh, but we do have a way to still gather some information if you would like to connect with our church, and we would love to connect with you. So just go to our digital connect card on our website, churchbythebeach.org. But all of you who are in person, welcome. If you're watching us online or listening to us elsewhere, thank you so much uh, for tuning in. Now, here's what we've been doing for the last two weeks. This is week three. We've been looking at this sermon series called Letters to the Church of, okay? And what this series is strictly all about is seven letters that we read in the book of Revelation of chapter two and chapter three. Now these letters are specific letters written by Jesus himself. How many of you know if Jesus has something to say, what should we do? Listen, or in this case, read it, right? And uh, so we want to you know, take a look, break down these letters and see how and what Jesus was trying to communicate to that specific church. But more importantly, taking all seven letters as we're going to go through these and seeing what he's trying to communicate to you and I, not only just as our gathering here or wherever you may be, but also individually within your life. Now, Jesus wrote these seven letters to seven different churches in Asia. So they are geographical locations. Some still exist today, others do not. Now, these letters are what we would consider to be potentially as the last verbal communication that we see within scripture within Christ. So what I wanna do is we're gonna take a look at through all of this, looking at faithful believers, because look, we wanna be faithful believers, don't we? I'm so sorry. I'm so, I'm, I'm, I must not be in church. We want to be faithful believers, don't we? Absolutely, we know Margie does, okay? Absolutely. And so what we gather here is Jesus is announcing to you and I as faithful believers to continue until the end or till his coming. They used this saying, Maranatha. What was that? Come quickly, Lord Jesus. All right. Let's jump into our scripture. Revelation chapter two, starting verse 12. To the angel of the church in Pergamum, right? These are the words of him who has the sharp double-edged sword. We're going to look at that several times throughout this message, so keep that in the back of your mind. I know where you live, where Satan has his throne, yet you remain true to my name. Let's stop there for a moment. There is an environment here that we see that this church is in. They're in a demographic or a geographical location that I would say would not be considered uh, as ideal, okay? Just not as ideal. He says this, you did not renounce your faith in me, not even in the days of Antipas, my faithful servant who was put to death in your city where Satan lives. Again, Jesus is addressing that where this church is located is not within probably the spiritual spectrum that we would feel very comfortable with. Nevertheless, that's a transitional word. I have a few things against you. There, meaning your church, your community, your region, all right? There are among you who hold to the teaching of Balaam, who taught Balak to entice the Israelites to sin, 
so that they ate food sacrificed to idols and committed sexual immorality. Likewise, you also have those who hold on to the teachings of the Nicolaitans. So we got a lot of things here encompassed within two verses. And, and Jesus is just diming them out right there, all right? But then something great happens. Everybody repeat this word, repent, right? Repent, therefore. Otherwise, what does it say? I will soon come to you and will fight against them, all right? Now, as we go on, how's he gonna fight? With the sword of my mouth, there's another reference there to a sword, okay? We wanna keep that in the back of our minds. Verse 17, whoever has ears, let them hear what the Spirit says to the churches. To the one who is victorious, and my prayer is that will be every single one of us, right? I will give some of the hidden manna. I will also give that person a white stone, and I'm gonna really break that down for you toward the end of the message. A white stone with a new name written on it, known only to the one who receives it. Now, Pergamus or Pergamum, depending on which translation you're reading, it's an actual real place. In fact, it is still a live, lively city today. Now, what we're going to do is we're going to take what was written to them from Jesus. And then what we want to do is interpret how Jesus is speaking to us today within this letter. There's no doubt in my mind, you and I, we are living in what we could consider to be historic times in real life. Okay? Technology has taken us as a church and as a church as a whole beyond our buildings and our four walls. In this day, you and I are making what we could say church history, navigating through global changes. Yes, global changes in real time. We are watching biblical prophecies form and to we have a front row seat and watching all of this take place. But what I want us to understand, it's not merely enough to watch this happen, but we must, as the church and the body of Christ, understand what our role is in that and being ahead of it and making sure that we are what? Communicating the gospel message. Joel says it this way in 3.1. He says, in those days... And at that time, my question would be this, are we living in those days that are mentioned? We know that the Bible is a book of prophecy, it's a prophetic book, and we also know that nothing compares to this book. No other reading, no magazine, no journal, no blog, no social media account. Nothing compares to this book. This book is living. This book is active. This book has breath. This book has power. This book looks at the past, the present, and the history. This book should be essential within your life. Luke says it this way in Luke chapter 21. He says, hold them. He told them rather this parable. Look at the fig tree and all the trees. When they sprout leaves, you can see for yourselves and know that summer is near. Even so, when you see these things happening, what things? The things that we have going on around our world today. You know that what? The kingdom of God is near. Revelation chapter 9 verse 6 says, During those days, people. Again, are we in those days? John 16 and 4. I have told you this so that when their time comes, you will remember what I warned you about them. Now, we must ask ourselves, where are we right now within the spectrum, within the grandness of everything that's happening around us? Jesus here is writing seven letters to his church. He is telling them what is happening in their day. Now, there's some things that we need to understand about Pergamum or Pergamus. That word literally means married or tied or bonded together. This, this city was a wealthy Roman city. It had great influence within the empire. Pergamus was well known for its invention of the papyrus paper. And different from many of the other churches, it was unique in a sense. It wasn't... Um, as important when it comes to trade. 
But it was equally just as important when it, because of it, was, it was a hub of spiritual activity and it would not be necessarily spiritual activity that you and I would be proud to be a part of. Pergamum is where you would make offerings, great religious activity, there would be great temples, great, fantastic, uh, eloquent altars made, but they were made to ancient gods. Not the God that we serve, not Jehovah, not Adonai, not, not the creator of all things, not the one who is what, the Alpha and the Omega, the beginning and the end, not the healer, not the author and the finisher, but instead to ancient gods. They had this whole thing wrong. Pergamus welcomed you to a city and a culture of paganism and compromise. Compromise is something that I talk a lot about within my messages. As a Christian, it would have been a tough place to be for those who would be spiritually weak or spiritually weak within their faith. Where are you at within your faith? One of the things I cannot stand about the culture and the society that we live in is that we have taken the very decrees, the laws, and the promises that we have written here within the word, which we understand is also the sword, and it's also what double-edged, and we're going to get into that in just a few moments. But we've allowed compromise to come in, to fit our lifestyle, to fit the mold that we want rather than us fitting the mold that it provides. There are two overriding themes that we can find out within this passage of scripture that I've read, this letter. One is the issue of faithfulness to the point of martyrdom if called upon. What does that mean? That means you will be killed for your faith. Have you ever thought about that? Have you ever thought in your mind and, or, or, or even been in a, in a discussion like you are? I promise you are now. <laughs> Thank you. Thought, would you be willing to go that far for your faith? Second thing that we see is the issue of compromise with the world and the spirit of this world. Will you be faithful or will you compromise? The church at Pergamum actually did both. You know, 1 John Chapter 2, starting at verse 15, says this. Great direction here for us in life. It says, do not love the world or anything in the world. If anyone loves the world, love for the Father is not in them. For, if anything, for, for everything in the world, the lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, the pride of life, comes not from the Father, but from the world. Verse 17. The world and its desires, they what? They pass away. What does that mean? They're dying. They're gone. They're, they've passed away. But whoever does the will of God, what do they do? They live forever. 2 Corinthians chapter 13 and 5. This is a great scripture reference for us to look at, to do self-reflection within our lives. Watch this scripture. It tells you to do something. Examine yourselves. When's the last time you've done that? When's the last time you allowed the word of God, as James tells us, to take a look at and to allow it to be what? As a reflection unto our soul, unto our spirit for the things that need to be changed. But it says, examine yourselves to see whether you are in faith. Test yourselves. Do you not realize that Christ is in you unless, of course, you fail the test? We must examine ourselves. And these letters that we're looking at for the church actually glare in and give us a visual uh, a perception of an x-ray of what's going on with inside of the church. Let me help you out. Not the body, or excuse me, not, not the building. We talked about that last week. Not the building of the church. But we understand that we are part of the body of Christ. And being part of the body of Christ means that we are part of the church. In other words, we're not defined by a, a, a structure of any sort. We're defined by being a part of the body. And what this does, these letters allow us to look deep within the church to see, hey, what's going on here? 
What, what, what is Jesus trying to communicate? One of the first things we see. What is he trying to bring to light? One of the first things we see within this letter is this. Simply be prepared. The moment we hear of a crisis, what do we do? We prepare. When, when, when uh, the, the pandemic and the quarantine went from a casual discussion to a more serious thought on the forefront of all communication, what did you do? You began to make preparations within your home. Water, food, toilet paper. Am I right? Yeah, thank you. Jesus is saying to us in this moment, prepare ourselves. I love this. We need to know his word and we need to do his word. Let me repeat that. Hmm. Know his word and to do his word. You know, as, as, as a parent, if, if you've, maybe you, this has happened to you also within your own personal life, but you send your kids off to college or maybe you went off to college and you studied a specific field and then college is over and you go out into the real world how many knows that your plans get wrecked sometimes, right? And you go out into the real world. Next thing you know, you're in a, you're, you're in a field that had nothing to do with what, with what you went to college for. Jesus says, listen, know my word and then do my word. There's a lot of people who know his word and they're not living his word. Let me repeat that. There's a lot of people in this world who know his word, but they're not living his word. But on the flip side, there's a lot of people who are trying to do his word and they won't even break open the word. How can you do the word if you don't know the word? It needs to be a part of our lives continually. But he says, be prepared. Watch this. Revelation chapter two, verse 12 to the angel or anglos in the original translation, meaning messenger or pastor to the angel of the church in Pergamum, right? These are the words of him who has the what? Sharp, double-edged sword. We know this because we can look in Hebrews chapter four, verse 12, where the Bible reads this way. For the word of God is what? Alive and active. Listen, historical, historical books only teach us of what was, but the Bible gives us a look at what once was, but what is happening now and what is to come. And there's no other line of communication ever that will do that for your life. But for the word of God is alive and active, again, sharper than any double-edged sword. It penetrates even to dividing soul and spirit joints and marrow. It judges the thoughts and the attitudes of the heart. Do you understand how important this thing? Right here. You know, one of the most encouraging thoughts that, that, that I, or, or uh, statements that I read during all of this uh, that, that we have been going through and, and, and obviously are going to continue for some time, but it's, is this. The Bible app is one of the most downloaded apps during this season. What does that tell me that people are seeing that there's a need for Jesus Christ in their life? They're seeing it's not just about having a knowledge of him, but they want to get into relationship with him. Now, there's several areas within scripture that talk about the Bible being used as a sword. Luke chapter two, verse, th I got to hurry up. So that the thoughts of many hearts will be revealed and a sword will what pierce your own soul too. Revelation 1:16. in his right hand, he had what, seven stars. And coming out of his mouth, what was it? Was a sharp double-edged sword. His face was like the sun shining in its brilliance. Revelation 2:16. repent therefore. We've already read that, right? We're gonna look at it again in a little bit. Otherwise I will soon come to you and will fight against them with the sword of my mouth. Revelation chapter 19 and 15. Coming out of his mouth is a sharp sword with which to strike down the nations. He will rule them with an iron scepter. He treads the winepress of the fury, the wrath of God Almighty. Revelation 19.21 says, The rest were killed with the sword coming out of the mouth of the rider on the horse. A lot of mention here. As the word of God, not something that is just collecting dust or sometimes looked upon, but it is a crucial instrument in the day and age that we are living in. Revelation chapter 2.13 says, I know where you live. That's kind of creepy, right? Somebody like, you know, social media stalking you. I know where you live, right? He says, I know where you live. 
Sorry. It's what comes to my mind sometimes, guys. Forgive me. I know where you live, where Satan has his throne. In other words, what is he saying? I know the environment of your city. I know what's happening around you. I know those who are all around you. But I also know that, you know, even though they've given into the fully of, of the paganism and the cult worship, you have not. 1 John 5, 19 says this. We know that we are children of God and that the whole world is under the control of the evil one. You ever had that mental picture of Satan? He's just in hell with a pitchfork. Let me help you out. The Bible says, no, he's roaming. He's looking he's de- to whom he what can devour. He's searching out. He's waiting for the weak times. He's strategizing. If he is strategizing, how much more should we take God's strategy and apply it to our lives? He goes on to say, yet you remain true to my name. You did not renounce your faith in me. In other words, you held fast to my name. You held fast to the faith. He goes on to say, and even in the days of Antipas. Now, we don't know nothing about this guy. All we know about this guy is what is in these few next words. He calls him my faithful witness who was put to death in your city. What was he? He was martyred for the faith. He goes on to say what? Where Satan lives. Let me help you out. We are all going to face opposition. We have been facing opposition, but we must be able to recognize this and have not a waiver at all within our commitment to Christ. We must take the word of God and allow it to function to its fullest. Why? Because it's live, it's active, it's breathing, it's got power and it's life giving. So we know that we need to be prepared, but now we understand number two, we need to be true. No one wants to sign up for persecution. Let's be honest about that. But if we say that we are going to get prepared at this time and that we're going to live for Jesus like never before, as many of you have said, as I have said, even about our church in my own life, this is what's going to happen. As you're trying to live the discipled life for Jesus, you're going to be loving, but yet at the same time, you're going to be judged and looked down upon and potentially even hated. Why? Because living the truth it will become noticeable in your life. I want it to be noticeable in my life. You know, the Bible charges us to be holy. That's kind of very, um, uh, you use the word holy and it's, it's, it's almost like, oh, I can't do that. I mean, that's that, inferior. We become over that word. Do you really know what that word means? Changed. Be different. Be different from this world. When people look at you, they should see no resemblance of our society and culture. They should see what? Jesus Christ living through you. Now, here we go. The truth draws examination to us. The church belongs to Jesus Christ. We know that. Let's take a look in the scripture. In verse 14, Revelations 2, it says, Nevertheless, I have a few things against you. See, don't you love it when somebody sets you up? You know, when you go into a conversation and they're building you up, they're praising you. They're like, great job. Therefore, nevertheless, but everything starts to change, right? I have a few things against you. There are some among you of hold to the teaching of Balaam or the practices of Balaam. He was a prophet who sought his calling for money. Goes on to say, who taught Balak to entice the Israelites. So Balaam went to this king and he taught him how to entice the Israelites. In other words, what? How to make them weak. How did he do that? He said, eat food, eat this food that you're not supposed to eat. And then he enticed them with sex. He goes to sin so that they ate food, sacrificed to idols. And then what did they do? They committed sexual immorality. You know, there will always be temptation. And the one who is the temper, tempter, but no tempter or temptress can make you sin. We, you and me, decide to sin. Watch this. We decide after looking at the temptation to think about it just a little bit. Then after we have entertained, this is an equation here, okay? Then after we have entertained the sin, it then sticks in our head. When that happens, we have now set ourselves up for the act of sin and the result of all of this will be painful at the least. At the least. 
Romans, or excuse me, Proverbs chapter 6, 27 through 28 says, Can a man scoop fire into his lap without his clothes being burned? Can a man walk on hot coals without his feet being scorched? James chapter 1, verse 13. When tempted, no one should say, God is tempting me. For God cannot be tempted by evil, nor does he tempt anyone. But each person, that's you and I, we are tempted when they are dragged away by their own evil desires and enticed. The devil made me do it. No, he didn't. You did it. Your eye, the lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes. The Bible speaks to us about it. Then after the desire has conceived it, it gives what? Birth to sin. And sin, when it is what? Full grown, gives birth to death. The Bible tells us what? Sin brings upon death. There's no death in this world unless there's sin that came into it. And we know that. Revelation chapter 2, looking at verse 15. Likewise, you also have those who hold to the teaching of the Nicolaitans. Now understand, uh, those were disciples of, of Nicholas. He, he was, um, what they did was they infiltrated the church. They took the message of the gospel and then they applied it to their pagan worship. So what it ultimately they did, they did what our culture is doing today and compromising the word of God. Plain and simple. The same things that we are even doing today in our culture and compromising the word of God. But Revelation chapter two, verse 16 says something very amazing. He turns everything around with one word, repent. When we recognize what's going on, when we understand our faults and our shortcomings, he says, you repent, turn away from all this. Repent, therefore, otherwise I will soon come to you and will fight against them with the sword. Now we know this. We know we need to be prepared. We need to know that we, we need to be in truth. But number three, we need to be encouraged. Jesus ends this amazing letter by extending an olive branch to his church. In verse 17, he says this, whoever has ears, let them hear what the Spirit or the Holy Spirit says to the churches. I want to stop there real fast because I want you to understand this gospel message is just not set apart for a, you know, a certain class of people. The scripture there says, whoever has ears, let them hear what the Spirit, what the Holy Spirit says to the churches, to the one who is what? Victorious or is what? Overcoming. I will give some of the hidden manna. You know, one of the things that fascinated me as I was going through this scripture, and I've read this scripture, I don't know how many times I have gone through this letter through, through uh, probably, you know, growing up as a, as a kid through Bible college, through, you know, being a youth pastor and an executive pastor. Now as a pastor going through it, and I never figured, I, I never looked at it this way. And I, I started referring Referring back to Numbers chapter 12, I think it is, where God provided manna to the Israelites. Do you guys remember that story? They're complaining they had no food, blah, 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 blah. So what, again, you know, they're complaining, so God provides. They always find something to complain about, kind of like us. And he's providing the manna, but you know what happened to them? They, got, they grew tired of the manna and they started complaining like, is this all we're ever gonna have? Jesus says in John chapter six that he is the manna that came down from heaven. I want to read this scripture starting in verse 28. It says, then they asked him, what must we do to the works God requires? Jesus answered. Remember, we pay attention when Jesus is talking, right? The work of God is this, to believe in the one he has sent. So they asked him, what sign then will you give that we may see it and believe you? What will you do? Our ancestors ate the manna in the wilderness as it is written. He gave them bread from heaven to eat. Jesus said to them, Verily, truly, I tell you, it is not Moses who has given you the bread from heaven, but it is my Father who gives you the true bread from heaven. For the bread of God is the bread that comes down from heaven and gives life to the world. Sir, they said, always gives us this bread. Then Jesus declared, I love this, I am the bread of life and whoever comes to me will never go hungry 
And whoever believes in me will never be thirsty. That hunger, that thirst, that desire for righteousness should dwell with inside of us every single day to the point that, and, and, and listen, I'm just like you, I'm human too. There's times where I'm going, oh, it's devotional time. Time to get in there. Not feeling it today. You ever been there? I'm sorry. You're way better than me. Sure you have. But we need to recognize that. Be like, God, change my mindset, change my heart, change the way I'm thinking, change my emotion right now so that I get into your word, which is manna, <laughs> to feed me, to give me what I need because it's preparing me, it's giving me truth, and it's encouraging me. Did you just see how I tied all three of them things together? <laughs> preparing you, giving you truth, and encouraging you. Verse 17. And our text says, I will also give that person a white stone with a new name written on it, known only to the one who receives it. Stand with me. I want to explain that to you for a minute, what that's really talking about. Because we can all really look at that and be like, oh, just pass on. Let's go on to the next verse. Because we may not understand that. I want to try to bring some understanding of what's really being written there. Back in that day, you ever heard of back in the day? <laughs> back in the day. Back in that day, what, what happened was they would go, you know, somebody who broke the law, did wrong. They would go before a governing body or a judge of some sort. They would petition their case. They would be found guilty, okay? And then what would happen was somebody would speak up on their behalf and say, I'll take the place of that punishment and I will pay that whatever that amount is. Regardless of the amount, I will pay it. And so what that judge would do is then present the person to the guilty party, a white stone and a new name written on it. Meaning what? What happened is gone. You've been acquitted. It's over. Now from now on, if somebody ever brings up who you were, you go, no, this now is who I am. This is who I am. You know, there's one who paid a price for your life. The very one who wrote this letter, and his name is Jesus Christ. A, a, he, he paid a price that you could never afford to pay. And you're the guilty party. I'm the guilty party. And he stepped in and he took on a death, a death for you. He was sacrificed. And, and, and I've been using this word more and more because it gives me a better visual. He was slaughtered for my sin, for your sin. And when he did that, he gave us a new name. And that name is, you're a child of God. And all you have to do is say, Lord Jesus, I accept you. I accept what you've done. And I accept you now as my Lord, my master, my savior. And from this day forward, I will live for you. It's stupid for somebody who's been acquitted to ignore and say, no, I want that punishment. I want that punishment. Doesn't make sense, does it? Yet we've all been there when it comes to Christ. Eventually, we came to the saving knowledge of who Jesus Christ is. Maybe you're here today and you don't know who Jesus is. Maybe you're watching us online or listening to us, whatever the platform is this morning, and you don't know who this Jesus is. If you would bow your heads, close your eyes this morning. Right where you're at, even in your living room, kitchen. I want you to understand something. He has stepped in your place to what make you white as snow, clean slate, he paid the ultimate price for you. And he loves you with an unconditional love that he gave himself up specifically for your life, for your life, for your life. And all you have to do is say, Lord Jesus, come into my heart. And if that's you today, I want you to pray this prayer with me. 
In fact, I want us all as a church and wherever you may be, pray this prayer out loud with me. Let's pray. Lord Jesus, today I recognize that I am a sinner, but today I recognize you as my Lord and my master and my savior. Forgive me of my sins and I repent of my lifestyle. Place me in your perfect will, plan, and purpose for my life. In Jesus' name I pray, amen and amen. Can we give the Lord a hand clap of praise this morning? Amen. You know, that doesn't get old to me. It never gets old to me. Sometimes I've had people say, well, pastor, you know, especially during this time you look out there and you know everybody out there and they've been coming for, you know, years and, and this and that. And you know that they're, but I don't know who's on the other side of that camera. I don't know what you've been going through this week. I don't know how you have fallen. There's a reason why we go through that. Why? Because we wanna make sure what Jesus Christ is known as your Lord and Savior. Now, we know this through this letter, that we are charged to be prepared. We're charged to be what? True. And we're charged to be encouraged. Now, you're not just saved for your own life. Granted, you've got a great destination because we know that we are not what citizens of this world, of this kingdom, but we are citizens of heaven. But it's our responsibility to be a part of the great commission and sharing the message of Jesus Christ. And you can only do that if you're prepared and you're in truth and you're encouraged. Can I pray with you this morning? Let's pray. Father, I thank you for every single person here. I thank you for every single person watching us online. I even thank you, Lord, for everybody from the first service. God, bless each one. Help us to be prepared. Help us to be in the truth of your word. Help us to stay encouraged, even though everything around us could define it otherwise. Help us, Father, Lord, to know that you have everything in your control and not necessarily for our own life, God, but just like the early church, when they gave up their possessions, sold it, why? So they could take care of the needs of all their friends and loved ones around them. Let us take on that same mentality, understanding, God, that you have set us as people of influence and families and churches and jobs and circles of friends, whatever it may be, to communicate the gospel message. May your gospel message never be silenced by any of us here, any of us watching us online. May we demonstrate your message and your word. Father, we love you and we thank you, God. And as we close out this time together, we're reminded of the words of the psalmist. Let the words of our mouth and the meditations of our heart be acceptable in your sight, O Lord, our strength and our Redeemer. In Jesus' name we pray. And the church says, amen, amen. We love you guys. We'll see you next week.